Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. So now, ladies and gentlemen, it is start time. Are you ready for start time? From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Australian singer-songwriter Julia Jacklin finds it difficult to stand up to people in her life, but on stage, it's another story. I find just saying to someone in person, like, can you please not touch me, to be so much more confronting and difficult than standing on a stage in front of, like, a thousand people and saying that same sentiment. Julia Jacklin joins us for a chat and a special live performance. And we'll review the new album from the English singer-songwriter, Blood Orange. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're talking to Julia Jacqueline. Julia is a 28-year-old singer-songwriter and guitarist from Sydney, Australia, and her second album, Crushing, is one of my favorites of the year so far. I love this record for a number of reasons. It's basically a song cycle about a breakup, but it isn't a pity party. There's uh, there's empathy there, there's uh, tenderness, but there's also a toughness underneath the lyrics that I really love, and plus a very concise uh, great melodies, a great singer-songwriter record for 2019. Uh, you mentioned crushing Greg, and uh, Julia is indeed crushing it. Some of the themes she explores in the music are uh, social perception, anxiety, boundaries, insecurity, mm. reclaiming your power. We caught up with Julia Jacqueline at the Goose Island Tap Room in Chicago, and we started the conversation by asking her about what it was like to be an artist with indie cred who's also on the rise. It's like some days I feel so great about it and I feel like this is what an incredible way to live my life and mm. I get to meet all these people and I get to travel and then other days I think like what an insane thing to do with your life. Like <laughs> experience trauma, <laughs> write songs about it, spend all this money to like put it on a physical disc, <laughs> mm. sell it for money and then spend like two years of your life performing it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know that sounds so obvious, but it's like I'm Julia Jacqueline today, right now that you see, is not the Julia Jacqueline who wrote Crushing and was that person, mm. but I have to be old Julia every night. <laughs> every night, and I have to honour old Julia, and I have to make sure that I'm like bringing honesty and truth to those feelings and those songs, but also being aware that I am not that person mm. right now as well. So there's that disconnect. Like the everybody in the music industry is just kind of reliving their old selves. <laughs> Tell me I'm the love of your life just for night Even if you don't feel 
are you able to have a sort of a distance between yourself and that person who does those songs so that you're able to perform them? Um, yeah, I think for two reasons. One, because a lot of the time for me, songwriting is not necessarily, not always kind of depicting exactly how I feel, but how I want to feel. You know, like a song like Head Alone is a song that I didn't feel that courageous about asking for boundaries at the time, but I desperately wanted to feel that courageous and needed to be that courageous. So I wrote that song as kind of like a, you know, like a mirror pep talk to be like, come on, like you can do this, you know. I don't want to be touched all the time. I raise my body up to be mine. So I think that your songs as well can reveal themselves to you and help you later down the line. That's why I love the songs. And also I recognise that people are coming to my shows with their own feelings and their own experiences that they have projected onto these songs and that I need to like respect that and understand that it's, you know, it's for them and they... They are going to hear them in a different context and in a totally different way and it's not about me as much anymore as it was when I wrote them. What I love about you, Julia, as a writer is your love of taking a word, turning it inside out, upside down, right? Examining all the meanings. So I've heard, uh, read different interviews. Crushing, A, you had a crushing deadline to finish this second album. B, of course, there's that very sweet meaning of the word crush. You know, when it's all so innocent, you're 12 or 13 or 14, you got a crush. There's also that you're crushed in a lot of these songs by relationships that don't work out. What other meanings of crushing am I missing? I don't know. Sometimes the difference between how your life appears to other people and how it is, you know, like I kind of went home after touring for a long time and... Everybody was just like, oh, man, like, you're crushing it. You're, like, (laughs) you're killing the game. Like, you're just doing so well. Like, you don't need us anymore. And, like, you don't need any, like, emotional support because, you know, your life is so great and wonderful. And in reality, I was, like, going through a very lonely, lonely, heartbreaking time. But because it appeared to everyone that I was doing very well, I felt like, therefore, I wasn't given this kind of friendship and support that I needed. I liked that word because it's an intense word and it has many meanings Mm. and I think that as a human being, like, I am just like everybody. It's just complicated and I have great days and I have bad days and touring and being a full-time musician can be the most incredible and most fulfilling thing and it also can be incredibly difficult and lonely and hard and strange and isolating as well. What if I cleaned up Well, the other word that comes up again and again throughout the album is body, right? And, and some critic thoughtfully counted up in the first four songs, it comes up 12 times. Mm. 
And in the sense, in the sense that we were, you were just saying, people think of you as one thing. They see one thing, and then there's what you really are. And that song, Body, is so amazing. When you took my camera Turned to me, 23 Naked on your bed, looking straight at you Do you still have that photograph? Would you use it to hurt me? Well, I guess it's just my life And it's just my body I'm wondering where that song, which is so intense, came from for you. I think the first, the first touring kind of thing for me and also just growing up and realizing that if you don't enforce boundaries then people will just assume that you don't have any and don't need any as my experience as a woman and that also that once you start to push for boundaries and ask for them that you are a hundred percent going to get pushback from people around you about that so Yeah, and I think that songwriting is, like, really wonderful and I feel incredibly privileged that I can do it and that I have this platform because it's it's a way for me to say things that I find very difficult to say face-to-face with someone. People say to me all the time, like, oh, wow, you know, you can get up on stage and sing all these incredibly vulnerable things and that's so crazy. Do you feel vulnerable and... And strange, I'm like, no, not at all. Like I find just saying to someone in person, like, can you please not touch me? To be so much more confronting and difficult than standing on a stage in front of like a thousand people mm-hmm. and saying that same sentiment. Mm-hmm. So actually I find that a lot easier. Well, Julia, we have a really enthusiastic audience here at the Goose Island Tap Room, and I think a lot of people at home listening um, may not be as familiar with your music. So uh, why don't you give us a song? Tell us what you want to play. Okay. Uh, A song called Don't Know How to Keep Loving You. Yeah. Inside. 
Don't Know How to Keep Loving You by Julia Jacqueline, live on Sound Opinions. When we return, we continue our conversation with Julia about her biggest musical influences and how she's overcome pressure to be a party animal. That's coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And this week, we're talking to Australian singer-songwriter Julia Jacklin at the Goose Island Tap Room in Chicago. Now, Julia, she's still relatively new to the industry and uh, just released her second album, Crushing, earlier this year. But uh, the emotional maturity and reflection in those songs seems far beyond her years. And I wanted to know if she was always a songwriter and musician or if it was something she'd grow into over time later in her life. I didn't start writing songs until I was about 18. I didn't start writing good songs until I was about 22, (laughs) I think. But I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot of stories. I was always writing as a kid. I've kept a journal since I was like eight years old. Like when I was younger, I didn't play guitar. I sung a lot, but kind of in bad musicals at the back row. And I, f- I found it really difficult to figure out what my thing was as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I was just desperate to, to do something, but I couldn't figure out what it was. talking about growing up in Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. um, and I say this not to embarrass you, but I find it fascinating. You were big on the Avril Lavigne and Britney Spears, is that right? Mm. Yeah. That totally. was the intro to music. Well, it wasn't the intro, like, but it was probably my, like, maybe even just my understanding of what women did in music. Mm. Yeah. And mm. then I hear you discovered Fiona Apple. Mm-hmm. Was, that the, was that the one that said, well, maybe I could do something different? Yeah, yeah. She, um, I kind of, I remember when I first heard her, I was at a friend's house when I was 14 and I was sitting on his couch and I heard Extraordinary Machine. If there was a better way to go than it would find me I can't help it, the road just rolls out behind me Be kind to me or treat me mean I'll make the most of it. I'm an extraordinary machine. I'd never heard anything like that before because I think before that I'd, you know, when you're younger, you're you're listening to what your parents listen to and kind of like love hating it. And then you're listening to Top 40 um, and kind of being like, I probably should like this, but I'm not sure if I do. And then my friends like this, my Mm. friends like this or, you know. Like, or trying to be someone you're not. Like, I think I went through a phase around that time, like, forcing myself to listen to Corn because I thought, like, <laughs> I thought that, like, I, I want to be the kind of person that's into that music, you know? Like, yeah. that will be cool. Alone, they lie where no one understands you. But don't give up because the music But I didn't like, I knew I didn't like it, but I thought if I listened to it enough that I eventually would maybe. Mm-hmm. So I remember Fiona Apple kind of like punched through all of that noise and was the first thing that I was like that I genuinely liked this. What, you know? Did you connect with the words or the, or the melodies? What was it about her music that really jumped out? 
The words, I love her lyrics. I think she's an incredible lyricist and just really interesting and strange, but also not strange enough that you can't relate to it. Interesting perspective on relationships and love that I don't hear that often in music. This won't ever change. We're gonna keep on getting older. It's gonna keep our feelings straight. You went to college. <clears throat> There's a few stories floating around that you worked in a factory. What, I did. Whatever. An, an essential yeah. oils factory. Yeah, I keep like seeing that in all factory. your bios. It's like you sound like you were in no Black Sabbath what, or something like that. I have we no were idea what that is. Factory what, in Sheffield. What yeah. are essential yeah. oils? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I know. I probably. Yeah, it sounds like way more hardcore and romantic than it was. <laughs> it was the best job I've ever had. I mean, I like playing music, obviously. But, um, <laughs> but it was like I wrote. I wrote a lot of music at the factory. Yeah, but what are essential oils? Why essential oils? No, what are essential oils? I have no idea. Well, that's the funny thing, because, like, whenever I say that to people, they, like, go, you know, people who are really into essential oils, like, start to go off on a tangent about, you know, the properties and the greatness of essential oils. I was like, I was a cog in the machine. <laughs> I was not, like, no one in the factory that I knew knew what they were. Or use them themselves. All right, so it's not because we me. were just daily like doused in them. So I just always smelt so strong <laughs> for like two years, <laughs> and I just was. It really, yeah, it totally turned me off. Is this like patchouli, or what? We had baby massage oil. We had patchouli. We had orange. We had lavender. Uh, we had pine, uh, all the Look all the this. oils. You're, I don't know how you make them. It. I don't know where they came from. <laughs> I just sat on a conveyor belt. Well, I didn't sit on it. I sat next to it. Yeah. And then bottles came in front of me, <laughs> and I and I went and I filled them, and then they left. Wow, stunningly, <laughs> okay, stunningly right. boring. So I've with dreams to reach the skyline. Straight up dead and kind. You're touching on something I think is really underplayed in the whole idea of rock and songwriting and all this stuff. You wrote a lot of songs in the factory. And I keep hearing this story over and over. I had this really boring job but I wrote a ton of songs. Butch Hancock was driving a tractor, you know, in a farm and, and wrote all these great songs that became part of the Texas singer-songwriter vernacular. Kurt Vile, the yeah. forklift story, working the forklift in the factory, mm. wrote a ton of great songs. You're doing these, these oil products and an assembly line, and what, so you're writing songs in your head at the time just to pass the time, is that how it worked? Yeah, I mean, you just have so much time to think, and boredom and space and, like, the inability to be distracted by your phone and your life is so important to songwriting. Mm -hmm. So I'm very grateful for that. Did you did you write things down or did you like record them or how did you remember what was I going through your head? I would take frequent bathroom breaks, <laughs> much to the annoyance of my colleagues. And I would sit in there and I'd sing them into my phone.
There's a lot of uh, stuff that can be misinterpreted about a person's life. Like people assume certain things, and because you're a public figure, they make assumptions about you. And it was interesting because I have two daughters who are in their early 20s, and they um, they listen to this record. They like it a lot, but they they really focused in on the song that you just played, "Don't Know How, How to Keep Loving You," and this other song, "Comfort." And they said this is an interesting perspective because ostensibly people think you're the one in power because you did the breaking up and you're the one that's free now and both my daughters have said to me you don't feel that way at all you're as hurt as that person that you broke up with mm-hmm. in a di- but in a different way and there's not many songs when you think about it there's not that many songs written from that perspective mm-hmm. that were you kind of aware of that and that that, that voice needed to be out there that, that that was something that you needed to write about yeah absolutely and i think the reason it's not written about a lot because I've written songs in the past where I have broken up with someone or, you know, hurt someone. But it's kind of easier to be like, yeah, I'm just going to flip that narrative and be the victim in this situation because you get more sympathy. Mm -hmm. And it's also been written about a lot of times so you can kind of like listen to music and you're already in that headspace. It's easier to write from that perspective. So... Um, but I, going back to Fiona Apple, I feel like the seed was planted for me when I was very young about that perspective from her song, Not About Love. There's a line in it which she says, it's not about love, in fact I can't stop falling out. I miss that stupid ache. Not about love. I am not in love. In fact I can't. And I really loved that because she she's talking about how sad it is and how much she misses and she wants to be in love but she's she can't stop falling out of love and that's really upsetting and sad. And I remember hearing that song for the first time and being like, oh, like I never, mm. yeah, you don't hear that very often about how sad that can be. I have her to thank for kind of having the courage to trying to mine that feeling and trying to write songs from that perspective without feeling like I was going to be the villain in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Sound Opinions. We're at the Goose Island Tap Room with uh, Julia Jacqueline. Uh, Julia, do you, would, would you want to play a song? Maybe one of those ones we just talked about? or <laughs> Yes. What were we talking about? Um, we were talking about... We body. Played, we talked about body. Comfort. Comfort. Yeah. Okay. Really, really, Julia, whatever you want okay. to play is going to make us happy. Yeah. Well, oh, cool, okay. Um, well, I'll play Comfort then. Thank you. 
Julia Jacqueline, live at the Goose Island Tap Room, Sound Opinions. What a fantastic song. Another song that I love is, is Pressure to Part. Which again, this is my interpretation of it. I, when I was uh, first hearing it before I read some interviews you've done, 
I, the interviews, you're sort of saying it's about the industry. But also there's that those things that are supposed to be fun, like New Year's Eve or certain weddings, you know. And then they just, you're like, you know it's going to suck. And then you are there and it sucks. And you're like, why did I ever say I would go to this party? Yeah. Isn't that just like modern life these days, yes. right? <laughs> yes. We're all just like killing ourselves to convince everybody else that we're having like the time of our lives. Mm. But um, also there's a great line yeah. in there. Uh, Nothing good comes from drinking. Mm. Yes, the artist sitting in the Goose Island tap room. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more that like if you're going into drinking to be like, I'm going to drink because I feel bad and I want to like be more fun today mm-hmm. and be more funny and be more of like a, you know, the clown at the party that everybody can like have a good time with. That's not going to end well. <laughs> and that's kind of, I think I'd been on tour for years. I kind of, my relationship ended and then I like went home to Sydney and I was just like embarrassingly trying to be so I was just trying to be so like, yeah, I'm here, guys. I'm back. I've been away for a long time, but I'm here. I've been crushing it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> just look at me. I'm killing it. Like, <laughs> and I'm here, and I'm at gigs, and I'm going to everyone because I was trying so hard to reclaim my community that I had lost from being a touring musician. You know, because I was part of a Sydney music community for a long time, and then suddenly I left for years, and my experience totally changed. So I felt like I lost my community. And I lost, you know, certain friendships from that. And I lost a, you know, relationship. And so then, uh, yeah, I was just like very miserable. But going out with this big smile on my face, trying to be like, yeah, life is so good. Mm -hmm. I made it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) And that was just such a lame time (laughs) of my life (laughs) that I am very grateful for because I wrote, my second record in that misery but um Uh also yeah i was just like a bit of a i was a total loser like and i don't feel like i'm a loser most of the time i feel like i'm most of the time pretty you know i'm a good person who makes the right decisions most of the time and that was a period when i was just making bad decisions (laughs) and just putting all of my energy into the wrong places so is there another song julia that you would like to play well, what a segue. Um, I'll do Pressure to Party. Yeah. Pressure to Party, gonna stay in. Nothing good can come from me drinking I would run shoes off straight back to you I know where you live I used to live there too Pressure to feel fine after the fact Out on the dance floor with my body back Meeting a stranger, touching his face I don't want anyone to ever take your place Pressure to go strike out on your own Pressure to learn from being alone Pressure to not leave it for too long 
Julia Jacqueline, Pressure to Party, live at the Goose Island Tap Room on Sound Opinions. Thank you again, Julia, for Thank uh, you. hanging Thanks out with us. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. No, all right. nice Thank you. Thank you. If you're looking for more Julia Jacqueline, we've got video of her performance on our website, soundopinions.org. Coming up, we review the new album from English singer-songwriter Blood Orange, Plus, Jim will take a trip to the desert island and pop a quarter in the jukebox. Jim, what's in store? Greg, 50 years after Apollo 11, I am going to the moon. All right. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis, and that's a track from the new Blood Orange album. The track is called I Want to See You, and the name of the album is Angel's Pulse, Blood Orange's fifth studio album. Uh, Blood Orange, otherwise known as Devante Hines, is a uh, 
well-regarded singer, songwriter, and producer out of England. He began his career more than a decade ago in uh, various incarnations. He was known at one time as Lightspeed Champion. He was a member of the band Test Icicles. Uh, and then he became Blood Orange in 2008. Uh, the last couple of records, Freetown Sound and Negro Swan, uh, really got a lot of uh, attention because of the depth of the production. You know, you keep hearing that word cinematic thrown around about his uh, production work. And his skill as a songwriter and producer has been noticed. Uh, other artists such as Solange, Sky Ferreira, FKA Twigs, Heim, Florence and the Machine, Carly Rae Jepsen have sought out his services. Uh, quite a resume there. Now, the fifth studio album as Blood Orange. Again, the album is called Angel's Pulse, and here's a track from it called Birmingham on Sound Opinions. For when she heard the explosion, her eyes grew wet and wild. She raced through the streets of Birmingham, calling for a child. She That is Birmingham by Blood Orange from the new album Angel's Pulse. That is an extraordinary track, Greg. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. That little gospel snippet, uh, you have singers Kelsey Lewand and Ian Isaiah lifting their voices toward heaven. It, it, it's amazing. It, of course, is referencing uh, the mother whose daughter died in 1963 in one of the church bombings in the South. Uh, Devante Hines saw this as a, a mixtape. Uh, it's recorded all over the world in bits mm -hmm. and pieces as he travels, as he works with other artists, uh, as he's, uh, you know, just, just jotting down notes, essentially. Um, I think on the first or second or maybe even the third listen, uh, Angel's Pulse uh, can seem a little scattered, almost as if your Spotify jumped ahead or something and, and it went to a different artist. You have to sit down and listen and, and follow the through lines in, in what he is doing. You know, genre doesn't exist uh, as far as he's concerned. And I think he joins a really select uh, list of young 
for lack of a better term, R&B singer-songwriters who are doing that, who are all over the map. Uh, Maybe soul is the better word. That's the common denominator. His soul, his perspective, his uh, just just heartfelt grooviness in all of these songs, whether, uh, you know, regardless of what in particular uh, sound he's doing. You know, Prince is obviously a role model when Prince was uh, at the height of his powers, just creating nonstop in Paisley Park. And I think that's what Devonta Hines is uh, for, for this period. Yeah, he's, uh, he's so prolific that he's handing out his music. He just gives it out to his friends. Here, take a look. This is a track I made, you know, this afternoon. Yeah. And, Do and, something and with give, it if you want. Gives it away. Now, uh, very quickly following up that acclaimed Negro Swan record in 2018, with this mixtape, as you describe it, is an example of sort of the odds and sods of Blood Orange. But, you know, Blood Orange's odds and sods are a cut above most people's odds and sods. And as you said, he's all over the map. I mean, in Gold Teeth, you've got, you know, lo-fi Southern hip-hop with Project Mm -hmm. Pat and Gangsta Boo. You've got uh, Baby Florence, which is like a synth and drum machine, very minimalist. You've got Tuesday Feeling, which uh, has a very Stevie Wonderish feel to the ballad, you know? Yeah. This guy seems to be very, just very adept and very comfortable and very agile with so many styles of music. It's no wonder that all these artists are calling upon but, him. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just glad to get more music from this It's true. You left off the list Philip Glass. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, right. oh, he yeah. really is all over the map. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and play a track we cannot live without. Jim, it's your turn this week. Greg, I could not let the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing go unremarked in my Desert Island jukebox. We're recording in a few days uh, afterwards. Uh, You know, I I was five in uh, July 1969. I remember vividly watching on TV. I was a huge space geek. That's all I wanted to talk about in kindergarten. My mom uh, used to tell me I had my major Matt Mason. uh, I had my later my G.I. Joe in the space cap. Right. You know, I had two choices. Uh, Both are ambient instrumentals. One is the album Brian Eno, I'm sorry, put out in 1983 (laughs) with his brother Roger and Daniel Lanois, um, you know, which is pretty great. uh, But it's not my favorite Eno ambient album. I, I love best of all the quote Eno had. The trip to the moon was human beings greatest art project ever. And if you look at it in that way, you know, the audacity that in these machines that had less power than we have in our iPhone, that we were going to do that and we did it. I didn't even know about this, and I bet you don't, despite both of us being Pink Floyd superfans. I've read every book. I know you have as well. We've interviewed the members of the band. We love this group. I'd never heard of this track until somebody brought it to my attention on Facebook. 
In July 1969, David Gilmour was only in the band for a couple of months. The group had not yet recorded The Dark Side of the Moon. That was in the future to come a few years on. They are asked by the BBC to perform live as television is beamed from the moon of Mm. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landing on the moon, right? So there is this track out there, never been released on any official Pink Floyd album. It's super rare, but you can find it on the YouTubes, called Moonhead. I mean, what a wonderfully British 1969 sort of idea. We ought to have some music while this, you know, video plays of of human beings on the moon. Hey, have this, this band Pink Floyd, right? Have the come in (laughs) and it's essentially a uh, 12 bar blues space jam by the Floyd what's interesting is you can hear a little bit of money which is not yet recorded, not yet written, right? But, you know, Floyd had their motifs, and they would go back to this. Of course, they did several soundtrack albums. They were the masters of ambient space. Back when Sid Barrett was in the band, you know, Interstellar Overdrive, they were Mm -hmm. always dreaming of going to another world. You know, the BBC zoomed this out live. Pink Floyd did it and then forgot all about it, and it's only resurfaced because many people have been being asked, where were you 50 years ago when human beings landed? on the moon and David Gilmore had this story. I know where I was. I was jamming in the recording studio, man. This is Moonhead. It's not the Floyd's best, but it's just so weird and wonderful and the story's so good. I had to share it. My Desert Island jukebox pick. by Pink Floyd. I bet you never heard that, did you? I did not, but thank you for uh, blessing us with that uh, Pink Floyd weirdness. Uh, yeah. That uh, makes my day complete. We did do an entire show, Songs About Space. You can find that at soundopinions.org in the archives. What do we have on the show next week, Mr. Cott? Next week, Jim, uh, we are going to explore the cultural contributions of one of our finest, funnest, greatest bands of all time, the Ramones. Hey-ho, let's go! Listen to the podcast wherever you get such things. Special thanks this week to Goose Island Beer Company and engineer Shelley Steffens for our interview with Julia Jacqueline. Sound Opinions, as always, was produced by Brendan Banisak, Alex Claiborne, Iana Contreras, and Andrew Gill. Hello. Hi, girl. I've got news for you. Yeah, but, uh... Just about to kiss me. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. 
this is Bob Edgar calling from Summers, Connecticut. Uh, I just finished listening to your Wawa discussion. I was very surprised not to hear you mention, for me, the classic uh, rock era use of the Wawa Stephen Stills work on the Season of the Witch version that's on the Super Session album with Al Cooper. Jim and Greg, my name is Jake. I'm calling from Chicago. I uh, just wanted to add to the wah pedal conversation. Uh, I personally think that Zabrosa by the Beastie Boys off Ill Communication is probably my go to wah pedal track. I just thought I'd add it to the conversation. Thanks again. Hello, Louisville. Listen to WFPK. In the Wawa section, you touched briefly on the pre-electronic players. Duke Ellington with his plunger mute brass. And you mentioned Chet a little bit. Of course, Chet is underappreciated as a technical, a technical innovator. But two or three guys in country music who uh, did pre-electronic things and did them very well, and very novice steel player. I'm still wondering how they did them. Uh, Jerry Bird was one. Jerry worked with Red Foley, and he was a very prominent studio musician in the early days of the Nashville studio system. One good example of Jerry Bird's kind of wah-wah, mimicking the, the train whistle and that kind of thing. Listen to Hank Williams' I'm a Long Gone Daddy from 1948. I'm a long gone daddy, I don't need you anyhow. But the other guy who deserves big mention out on the West Coast with Capitol was Speedy West. Listen to him play with Tennessee Ernie Ford. Listen to him play with Jimmy Bryant. You're going to hear a whole lot of that stuff. Thanks, guys. Great show. So long. Hi, this is Chris Dorch from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Just wanted to say I'm a long-time listener. Was really taken by what's going on because I've always loved that album, and I always thought that Marvin Gaye was so far ahead of his time, which you all correctly pointed out. It's a shame that that album can't be introduced in a certain house of government, uh, the Senate, uh, so people could hear it. And I doubt if it would move much opinions there, but it certainly uh, 
as a way of encapsulating many of the problems that we're facing right now. And he was just a genius. Thanks, and keep on doing the great work of your show. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.